You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Billions of dollars are pouring into build-to-rent communities, and that industry is booming. But will these developers end up flooding the market with too many rental homes, or are they just barely keeping up with demand? I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Well Show. Our guest today, Brad Hunter, is a housing market economist with 35 years experience analyzing builder projects, master plan communities, rental developments, and mixed-use projects nationwide. His company, Hunter Housing Economics, is a market advisory firm serving developers, builders, and lenders. Brad was the chief economist at Home Advisor between 2016 and 2018, and prior to that, he was chief economist and national director of consulting at Metro Study a housing research firm specializing in tracking residential markets around the country. So Brad, welcome to The Real Well Show. I'm so excited to hear what you have to say about all that's going on with Build to Rent. So if you wouldn't mind, just give me a a little bit of background on who you are and how you became an expert in this industry. Sure. I've been consulting on residential markets uh, for 35 years, working for home builders, developers, investors, banks, and looking at housing on a micro level, looking at what's going on around the site that my client is looking at for developing. And then I would do a market study on that site, looking at the supply, the demand, projecting what the uh, lease up rate will be or what the absorption rate will be, whether it's for sale or for rent, and then what the rents or sales prices would be. Okay, uh, but uh, build to rent became kind of a thing just in the past decade, right? Or just maybe even the past few years. Yeah, really since around 2012. And it was born out of distress. Mm -hmm. There were so many foreclosure homes after the great financial crisis. uh, And so what happened is a lot of big money funds came in and started buying up those foreclosed homes and renting them out. But at the time, very few of them thought that there was a long-term potential. They viewed it as a short-term opportunistic play. But as technology came to kind of fill in some of the gaps and allow them to do things efficiently that it was previously difficult to do efficiently, meaning managing uh, far-flung houses and uh, renters and management and all of that, uh, they started realizing this is very profitable. And even as home prices started to go higher and the foreclosures went away, they said, now it's time to start buying newly built houses and ultimately building them themselves. And then there's this entire new set of players that's emerged into the market to do just that. With lots of money behind them. Lots of money behind them. (laughs) Now, you said it's very profitable. And I I know some of us real estate investors who like to get deals and buy under market, uh, we kind of scratch our heads and for years been saying, how how has this been profitable? Because we didn't necessarily see the the institutional investors getting deals. They were buying retail. Um, So how are they making a profit? Well, so the... uh... The rents have been increasing so fast, and demand is is ahead of supply. So, uh, although there were, in my estimation, uh, almost a hundred thousand homes built for rent last year, demand is far above that, and you can see that in the absorption rates of these individual built for rent communities. Uh, the communities are leasing up literally as fast 
as most of these builders and developers can produce homes and 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 get them ready to move in and the uh the profitability has actually surprised a lot of them because um i've spoken with a number of the big players in the country that do built for rent and almost every single one of them has ha had a situation or multiple situations where they pro forma a certain amount of rent and then the actual rent that they obtained was far above that. And so oh. we're just still in this rising tide environment where everything uh, has been going up. Now, going forward, it's not going to be rising as fast. We're going to see rents leveling off, but it's still going to remain a profitable business for years. So would you say that some of these funds got lucky, though, or were they good at forecasting, just knowing that, hey, maybe these properties aren't going to be profitable today, but in the long run, they will be? Well, it's a combination of the two. A lot of times they had the right analysis, but the wrong timing. You know, there's that mm -hmm. old tired expression in real estate, location, location, location. I always add a fourth one to that, location, 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 and timing. Because if you get that one wrong, it doesn't really matter that you got the right location. Because a lot of these funds um, got too impatient and bought too early. Some of them bought homes in 2008, and that was a bit too early. If they bought in late 2009 or 2010, 2011, that was the sweet spot. So, um, so they got lucky in a sense if they had a combination of the right strategy and the right timing but you know was that all luck i think that it's a combination of things sure and i couldn't agree with you more about the timing piece i mean you could have bought a a property i mean what's it the difference is one year you buy a property in the beginning of 2008 or you buy it in 2009 uh you know big big difference That's so right. you know a, a property and I, i've written about this in my book, Retire Rich with Rentals. One of our clients had um, four, three $420,000 homes in Stockton in 2007. By 2009, they were worth about 75000 right? So yeah, when would you want to be the buyer or the seller on that deal? Uh, all right. So um, is there a concern that they will time it wrong this time around? Because we do know that Acquiring an already finished property is very different than acquiring land and building on it, especially when it's a pretty large project. Uh, we are in the home building business. We've syndicated several projects nationwide, and uh, they're all delayed, every single one of them. Uh, some have taken 10 years to get to a point where we can actually sell homes. Uh, so do you think they might uh, miss the timing on this one, or is it going to, you know, what are your thoughts? So, and it's interesting because the capital markets take all of that into consideration. So if you were to just buy an already built set of homes and rent them out, you're probably uh, buying at a, you know, three and a half to 4% cap rate, because that's very low risk. Um, if you are buying land and then entitling land and then developing the land and then building the homes, it's a three year or more year, depending on what state and part of the country you're in process. And so there is timing risk involved with that. So uh, those investors are demanding a higher rate of return when it comes to that kind of investment. But 
you know, I believe that we're starting a run that will last at least eight to 10 years in this sector. There's a lot of pent up demand. And I don't see the industry catching up with that demand before the year 2025. As I said, we're looking at almost 100,000 homes built for rent this year. I think it's going to go to 120,000 next year and 145,000 after that, and probably eventually get above 180 or 200,000 a year. And so, you know, when we think about uh, the various analysts and, and folks that have been coming out saying, you know, look out, there's $30 billion that's lined up for built for rent. And just a, a pregnant pause after that, as if it's meant to say, that's clearly too much, but it's really not. Um, even some of the analysts I've, I've heard talking about with great alarm that it's 60 billion or 70, 75 billion dollars that is looking for investments to make in the built for rent space. But even if all 75 billion dollars, if that number is an accurate one, got invested over the next four or five years, that only amounts to enough to build about 200,000 built for rent homes. So if I'm saying the demand is 120,000 this, you know, next year and it's rising after that, that's a two year supply. So it doesn't at all add up to me to we're building too many. Uh, now there, there is a risk of too much concentrated in one area. You know, a lot of the money is kind of looking at the same geographic areas. I was just going to ask you about that. Is there a concern that certain areas will be overbuilt? There, there could be. You know, I, we've done five site-specific studies for built-to-rent developers in Nashville alone, and we in just in the last seven or eight months. And we've done three in the last six months in Austin, and we've done uh, so. Th there is um, a danger, however, even those five in Nashville. We're all in different submarkets of Nashville. And so, as you know, from the multifamily apartment business, there's nothing wrong with having an, you know, a bunch of apartment buildings all in the same submarket because mm -hmm. they can all thrive and there's enough demand to support them all. So I don't see us getting into trouble in the near term. But you know, several years out, it's going to be certainly important to think about segmentation and diversification in this sector. Right now, everybody's a genius, right? Every deal works and everything kills it. So um, we do have to think ahead and think smart and, and think about what am I gonna bring to market for whom? Who is my renter gonna be? That's what every decision should start with. Are you, are you targeting young families? Are you targeting uh, Generation X? Are you targeting 55 plus, um, you know, empty nesters. Um, are you targeting single women? Are you targeting people with dogs? You know, there's all kinds of ways to niche this and think about then, okay, what product mix and price point, if you will, is going to be the best to meet that particular market niche in that particular area. And as long as we do that properly, I don't think we're going to have too much of a overcompetition, you know, excess of competition in the next few years. Yeah, that's an that's a really interesting question. Who, you know, who are you building this for? And I, I know that we looked into build to rent and I spoke with some of my multifamily friends to see what they thought. And they just they just couldn't understand it. Why you would take a piece of land and build horizontally versus 
uh, vertically. Uh, you know, you can put more more families, obviously, into a multifamily project that that goes up. Uh, so, you know, what are these? Um, you know, why why would a developer choose a build to rent single family community versus again a multifamily where they could maybe make more money? Well, yeah, um, it's it's a matter of choosing again, who your renter is, because you will get people who will not be interested in an apartment to rent in a detached single family rental home, or even what's called the cottages. We can talk about that in a minute. That's another product uh, that has emerged. But uh, the yard is important, especially for young families that have children. Uh, They want to have a yard for the kid to play in. You can't really have that in an apartment, not in, I mean, you might have a playground in the apartment complex, but right outside your door, it's a different thing. Be able to grill right outside your door. And people who have dogs, I mentioned that a minute ago, and uh, you might have wondered why, but uh, people that have dogs, uh, if they're living in an apartment building, they have to find the leash, get the leash, put the leash on the dog, walk the dog down the corridor, go down the elevator or escalator or stairs or whatever it is, through the lobby, outside, walk around, follow them around with a plastic bag versus open the back door and let them go out. Mm, Yeah. Uh, Especially if it's fenced, you know, and a lot of these communities have fencing. So uh, it makes it so much easier and more convenient if you have a dog. And sometimes they're actually putting in what they call doggy grass or pet grass in the backyard. So it's easier to clean up. It's very porous. The rain just washes everything down and, uh, and that just makes life easier too. So that's number one, number two, kids and dogs. Um, you also just see people that say, I think it's more prestigious and more, uh, it's just nicer and less dense to have, uh, nobody living above me, nobody living below me, no shared walls. Sometimes there are shared walls with some of the smaller units and in, in certain kinds of built-for-rent communities or sometimes they're townhomes, but it's still less dense. And you can walk into your own front door. You're not going through a lobby. And especially in this age where people may be concerned about social distancing and contagion, um, it's nice to, uh, it's very easy to socially distance when you just pull into your garage and go right into your own garage door or mm-hmm. walk into your own front door. Um, so so that's a nice feeling as well. And, and people are more and more focused on, you know, enjoying the outdoors. Um, I mentioned the garage. That's another hot button for the build for rent business. And you can't really have a tax garage with an apartment. So uh, those are the main uh, differences. And, it, and they're, they're significant. It's a really different uh, type of person. And if you look at the income profiles of the people who are renting in these built for rent single family homes and townhomes, um, they typically are people that make six figures, a hundred and you know, hundred to one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, maybe starting at seventy five, going to one hundred and twenty, uh, depending on the complex and the location, uh, which is higher than what you find in apartments. So it's again a different audience. So um, that's why we're seeing multifamily apartment developers saying, "Let me." create another branch of my business that does this. And sometimes they do a different kind of product. You mentioned the cottages, and, and that's something that a lot of the multifamily developers are attracted to. Well, I, you know, actually, even in our, um, in our subdivisions that we're selling the homes retail to homeowners, we are building them really close together and three stories. 
mm-hmm. which, you know, I, not too many people would want to live in a narrow house. It's three stories in the past, but if it's more affordable and now you have a third story where you can put that office or playroom or whatever it is, uh, the extra guest room for, for mom and dad, uh, they're, they're in great demand. So we're able actually to make a better profit because we, you know, have a smaller piece of land. We can, we can build vertical and people still want it. Um, so I, I imagine that's what they're doing with the build to rent too, is, is putting as much as they can on a small piece of land. Right. A, a single family for sale subdivision will typically be in the range of four, five units per acre. Uh, but uh, when you do these cottages, which are also sometimes uh, in the industry called horizontal multifamily or horizontal apartments, they are they, they operate very much like an apartment complex, but you get you know sometimes 12 in places like Florida, maybe 10 to the acre, sometimes 12 in other states, 15, 16 to the acre uh, at the top end, uh, which is huge. And that's a big difference compared to full-sized single-family homes. Um, and so that's why in the uh, sort of land rush that's going on, we're actually finding that some of the um, horizontal multifamily built-for-rent developers can outbid the home builders for the land. And that's that's kind of an interesting turn of events, too. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I would imagine that, again, I think I think a lot of economists, and you tell me what you think about this, uh, missed the mark a little bit with these millennials and the millennial demand that we are seeing now. Um, there was all this talk that they were going to live in the, you know, downtown and they didn't want to get married anytime soon and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it, it appears that millennials are just people too, and are getting married and love their animals. And, um, and there's a huge amount of them and they are looking for housing and they want those backyards. So would you say that economists over the last 10, 20 years kind of missed that? Well, yeah. What happened is of course, it's the nature of polling, right? You poll somebody, you survey them and you ask them their opinion say, would you ever want to live in a suburb with a white picket fence, and the, you know, the, when the millennials were 21, they said, "Heck no, no way, <laughs> yeah." And, uh, and that's what all the surveys showed. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, now that they're in their mid 30s, and some of them getting ready to turn 40, uh, they're changing their tune because they're having kids now in pretty large numbers, and so we're seeing. Uh, that driving this bus very substantially. So you see people, these young people having kids 10 years late, but they are having them. And now they want a yard and parks nearby. And they want to be in the suburban areas where there are other kids in the neighborhood and where the good schools are maybe and uh, those kinds of factors. So the, the millennials are a big part of the demand equation for built for rent. And when you look at the demographics, you see that the bulge in the population uh, curve is uh, highest around age 27 to 31, 32. Uh, And so we're seeing uh, this dramatic increase in the number of people in that age group that are forming families, having kids, and making this choice that I want a detached home instead of an apartment. They sort of aged out of apartments to a degree. 
Yeah, it's funny when a lot of those headline stories came out, um, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, I thought, well, I don't know about you, but I didn't want to, you know, I, I didn't want to get married or have kids or have a white picket fence one in my early 20s. I just thought they're, they're just being normal kids, um, maybe delayed a little bit from that big recession in, in terms of getting out and getting jobs, getting out of the house and so forth. But yeah, uh, in, interesting that here we are and it's good. It's good if you own property. It's tough if you don't. It's getting tougher and tougher. Boy, I, I'm trying to help my daughter by she's in that bulge group. Uh, she's 29 years old and looking for a property. There's one, there's only one in the whole neighborhood that she wants. There's one for sale and lots of bids on it. So tough, tough, tough time to be trying to buy or rent for that matter. Right. I mean, that's why rents are going up. That's right. No, that's absolutely true. That There is a Severe shortage of supply, and that's partly what's been driving the the rents so high. And just the level of construction of homes has been lagging behind demand for quite some time. Um, you know, after the after the bubble collapse, uh, a lot of the uh, sort of infrastructure and the people that were involved in the process of developing lots got out of that business and started doing something else and a lot of the so it took a while to kind of restart that machine and now builders are investing in lots uh, very heavily they see you know the need uh but it, it was a slow turn and so we're still yeah. playing catch up Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned Nashville and Austin as places where a lot of the, the firms are, are buying the land and building the build to rent homes. Um, those are pretty hot little millennial towns, right? Lots of millennials wanting to go live in Austin and Nashville. Uh, do you, what other markets would you say are going to be booming like that with, with millennial appeal? So uh, the whole Sunbelt is getting a lot of attention for built for rent. And that's where most of the big money is headed. But I, I really have the, the belief based on the research I've done and all the studies that I've done that there is money to be made in built for rent all around the country. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you wanted to be a little bit of a contrarian and say, all right, let these huge multi-billion dollar funds go into Nashville, I'm going to go into Indianapolis or mm -hmm. Minneapolis. And we've done literally, uh, and we're just starting a third one, uh, three market studies for built for rent in the Minneapolis St. Paul market. And you may say, well, you know, nobody talks about Minneapolis St. Paul. It's, you know, is it kind of a sleepy sort of Midwestern area? It's, it's hot. It is hot yeah. to build for rent because uh, it actually has one of the worst housing shortages in the entire country. And as a consequence, you'll find people willing to rent new single family rental homes at a rental rate of $3,000 a month, $3,500 a month or more. And they're, they're leasing these communities up very rapidly. So a lot of demand there. And so I use that as kind of a, an example of look where everyone else isn't necessarily looking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's more profit to be made sometimes yeah. in the markets that are sort of below the radar, at least from the standpoint of the big funds. 
Oh, hundred percent. That's been our business model for 20 years is just um, staying off the radar. Uh, we were not, we were surprised, but also not that surprised that Cincinnati home prices went up so much this past year. But if you think about the fact that, yeah, what builder was running to build stuff in Cincinnati, you know, our teams were, they were building, but there wasn't a lot of competition. So, um, you know, there, you've got these areas that I just, aren't seeing new product come on as quickly as other areas yet there's still demand and i think that's what's surprising like where is this demand coming from for people living in places like you said minneapolis and cincinnati kind of what some people say the the tertiary markets or the third tier markets or whatever i don't want to i don't want to insult any cities at all but you know they they read them that way and <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's not a derogatory thing but yeah it comes down to two uh, factors really there's uh, household formations household formation rates were running around what 1.2 million a year before the the boom and then at the you know at the bottom of the great recession uh Household formation rates nationally went down to about 400,000 a year, and then they've steadily climbed up. And so households are being formed now at a rate of 1.5, 1.6 million a year. Now, that's probably, there's probably a little bump going on, and it'll probably level off at around 1.4 million going forward, but that's still a very strong number. So that's one of the demand factors. The other one is what I call move-up demand, and that constitutes people who are already living in a market, Nashville, Minneapolis, take your pick, and they're living in apartments, and they never really had an option to move into a new purpose-built home with, uh, with full of other purpose-built homes for rent with professional management and staff on site. And, you know, so th they're moving up in the sense of getting a, a lifestyle that they couldn't achieve in an apartment. So I think that that's part of it too. I think we're, there's still plenty of demand for apartments, but there's also a lot of growth happening because of people saying, okay, I've grown out of apartments. I'm ready for something else, or I have a dog and I have kids or a baby on the way and I need something different. Um, let's talk about management. Um, Obviously, if you're going to have a build-to-rent community, it's not really that different, in my opinion, than just managing an apartment. It's just more spread out, right? Um, so I don't know if they have on... I mean, are you seeing that? Do they have on-site managers? Or how how is managing a build-to-rent community different than managing an apartment? Yeah, that's something that is discussed avidly in this industry right now. There are some uh, companies that say, well... You know, given the size of communities we build, it doesn't really justify having an on-site person or on-site management office. But when you get to the larger communities that are built for rent, say more than 100 units, just to pick a round number, uh, then it probably is enough to justify having on-site management or at least certain days of the week have somebody that's on call. So um, I think that there are different strokes for different folks or different niches and strategies. And that's a good thing. So some of the players in this space are saying, you know what, all people want is the yard and the house. And I'm not going to give them all the frills and bells and whistles and, you know, swimming pool and clubhouse and all that stuff. I'm just going to give them what they really want, which is space. And mm -hmm. especially in the work from home 
era. People want to have enough space to have a, a home office that's kind of dedicated space, and you can't have that in an apartment. So people are saying that's the strategy. Or they're saying, we're going to go for something that is going to set us apart from the other built for rent developers, and we're going to have a pool and a clubhouse and fitness center and, and a business center and all these things that the apartment complexes have. And so it's just a matter of choosing where you want to go in that spectrum. And do you want to be kind of the low price, low, lower rent, more affordable community, or do you want to go with more of the luxury and the lifestyle? Just like in apartments, there's different, sure. different strategies. Yeah. And then finally, um, you know, when, when, when it, anytime something's hot, people jump in and a lot of times uh, people jump in who don't have the experience. Well, and it's also a new model. So a lot of the people doing it don't have a lot of experience because it's new. Um, now I have seen um, certain people buy land, want to turn it into build to rent, but they're selling the homes individually to investors. So in one case um, it's a, it's a subdivision with potentially 400 rental properties being sold to the public, each one individually. Now an investor might come in and buy five or 10, uh, but they might all have different management styles and companies, you know, it's, it's not all under one. What are your thoughts about that? Again, there are different strategies. I've uh, moderated a lot of panels at conferences on this topic, and uh, my panelists have often uh, been split. Some of them say, yes, I like the idea of developing a community of single-family homes on individual fee-simple lots so that I can sell off the homes one by one if I want to exit the investment that way. And then you have others that say, no, we think it makes a lot more sense to develop on a single plat as if you were developing an apartment building, build these cottages really close together, and then hold it and sell it as an entire asset and mm -hmm. don't break up the set. Um, so really, I, I see this market as divided almost down the middle uh, based on the projects that I've been consulting on lately. But maybe if, if there's one side that's more numerous, I would say that the individual lot uh, strategy is the one that's still the larger of the two. Yeah, I mean, I, I that's how I would do it. So that certainly you could sell off some some homes if you needed to and maybe get some owner-occupied residents in there. The thing that concerns me is if you had a whole bunch of owners. So in this 400-unit subdivision that's all rental homes, you might have 300 different owners in there all with different property managers, all kind of competing against each other for that tenant, right? And that just, I've seen that before um, back, you know, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So different, different world, definitely different world, but it, it was a disaster. So, I mean, it, because demand is so strong, do you see that maybe it could be better this time around to do something like that? You know, I, I think that there are a lot of, the developers in this space that are saying, let me offer something that's a little bit more attractive than that model, which is we're managing all the homes. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know who your manager is. We're professional management. We're not mom and pop. And, you know, it's not going to be difficult to get us on the phone. If you're renting from an individual uh, investor, 
I don't know. You know, how, will will it be easy to get them to respond when there's a, a leak in the plumbing or what have you? you? You don't know. There's a little bit more of a of a gamble involved there. So I think that the big players are really making a stand. We're going to be the brand behind this whole community. And there's another aspect too. If there are communities, there are obviously communities that are mostly for sale, but have some rental units in them. And it's been mentioned that some of the renters feel like second-class citizens in that community. Mm. People that yeah. own maybe look down on them a little bit or feel mm -hmm. like eh, there weren't so many renters around. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a little bit of that class warfare, a little bit yeah. of violence, a little bit of discrimination, unfortunately. So when it's an all rental community and you know that all your neighbors are going to be renters just like you, that creates a little bit more comfort for that tenant. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, uh, my personal opinion, and this is really for our audience more than anything that I think it's, um, dangerous to have a, you know, hundreds of investors in one subdivision with all with different management styles competing against each other. I would prefer to see it all under one, one management. And I don't know if there's a way to write that into the HOAs that you, you can buy this house, but you have to use this management company or something like that. Have you seen anything like that? Um, yeah. And I think that everything is in flux. Everything, everybody's learning at, in real time and figuring things out as we go along, including the local governments and planning agencies. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. and them and say, we want to do horizontal multifamily cottages. And they say, you want to do what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of experimentation going on, a lot of kind of feeling our way forward. And we saw a lot of communities that were like 20, 30 units uh, that now we're seeing units, communities that are more like 120 to 150 units. And I think next year, you're going to see a lot of them that are 250, 300 units. Uh, and part of that is that dipping the toe in the water, kind of getting a feel for it, and then going bigger and going bigger. So I think that, you know, for uh, small investors and large investors, it's going to be important to understand that the big investors are probably going bigger. And mm -hmm. there's going to be more money invested next year than there was last year. And there's going to be more, um, more big communities. But you know, from the standpoint of a small investor, you know, there's certainly an opportunity to kind of aggregate and and sell right into these big funds that are just um, coming on strong in the market and will be for the next couple of years at least. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending all this time here with us. It's it's exciting to be in this industry for sure. I think we're lucky. Thank you. Take care. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. If you'd like to have an in in this crazy real estate market and figure out how you can acquire rental properties before somebody else gets them, just go to realwealthshow.com and connect with one of our investment counselors at Real Wealth. They'll be able to connect you with property providers nationwide who really give our members kind of a first dibs at uh, the available inventory. So check that out again at realwealthshow.com. I'm Kathy Fetke, and thanks so much for joining me here. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.